We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2022 Fantasy Football Running Back Rankings. We're talking it through. We're building the rankings tier by tier. Probably not going to get through all of them. We'll call this part one of the running back rankings. If you miss part one of the wide receiver rankings... No shame in that. It's okay. A lot of people may have missed it, but it's up on Mayo Media Network right now. Sub to Mayo Media Network for all your fantasy football needs and hit the description. The entire draft kit is for free down there. All of the links provided if you want to listen to the audio versions up on the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast on Spotify, on Stitcher, and of course, Apple Podcasts, rate and review, hopefully five stars. If not, don't do it. If you're not going to rate it five stars, that'd be crazy. So please go do all that fun stuff now. All the projections I am using are from runthesims.com. If you out there want to make your own customizable projections for free, I suggest runthesims.com. All the baselines are in there right now with just an email address, no pay. Uh, You can go in and customize everything you want and build your own projections. If you do want the DFS optimizer, and the betting tools, that's going to come at a cost, but the early bird package is available right now. Use code MAYO. Get yourself 10% off at runthesims.com. But the projections, they're completely free. Jake Seeley from theathletic.com is on the line. Hope you had a great Independence Day weekend, sir. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of vacation with the girlfriend. After that, like vacation down in Duck for that's where she is. I just gave her location away. But for you know, I'm not a parade guy. You know that I hate parades. But help with the parades and just some some more time. I'm I'm living up life for a change. I think the entire time you've known me, I've never been like this. I know. I I can hear it in your voice. You sound happy. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy for you that you seem like you're in a great mood. 
Uh, it's still, don't worry. All in heels, not going anywhere. I've already fired back at people in the comments because it's football season already. I think one of them was like, your entire write-up was stupid. So you know, I'm already, I'm already back at it. So don't worry. That's not going to go away for anybody who thinks that I'm going to change my snarkiness or rudeness as, as has been seen on this show for years. So the exercise of these shows, I'm doing the receivers with Leone. I'm doing the running backs with you. We probably don't need to do quarterbacks and tight ends. That can just be mixed into the top 150 show. This is all building to me, creating my rankings. I like to talk this through with the people that both I trust, I like, and as I mentioned to Leone, as I got into shouting matches with him, on some of the points <laughs> where I sound very confident, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to know, like, Leone's actually really good at this versus me. He's the one who wins all the money. It's kind of like you. You're actually good at this. The number two overall ranker, so the first loser last year in terms of accuracy, <laughs> to your co-host on All In Football with Jeff Ratcliffe. But uh, number two's not bad, Jake. It's better than unranked Pat Mayo. No, and I think, I, if I remember correctly, I actually beat him in running back, so that's good for you. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, listen, I'm always going to turn to my guy, Jake Seeley. We're going to be doing this every week during the fantasy football season, debating the rankings, going through everything. But I want to get a start on what we're doing with the top tier of running backs. I have all the names written down. And it comes down to two guys for me for number one. It's either the safety of Jonathan Taylor or that upside of Christian McCaffrey. I think those are the two. There's other names that you could potentially throw into tier one. I think that the I, I just don't think anyone is as safe at the moment in terms of overall health, opportunity, what we're going to see than Jonathan Taylor. But I keep getting enamored, as I am wont to do, with the upside of Christian McCaffrey, mm -hmm. where... Even if he didn't score a touchdown all season, there's like still a path to him being the number one running back if he could stay healthy. Yeah, that path is there. Oh, by the way, I did look it up. I did. I beat him in running back, wide receiver. Then, as, as you would say, I smashed him in tight end, but he smashed me in quarterback. That smashing quarterback apparently was bigger than the, all the other three combined. But anyway, sidebar to that. The Christian McCaffrey, look, this is all you need to be said is, well, I think you and I had this conversation last year, and we've had it the year before, and that's why people are shying away from Christian McCaffrey because the conversation we keep having is when healthy, he's still been Christian McCaffrey. He's still putting up 20-plus points a game, often approaching and eclipsing 30 any given week, and then when he doesn't, it's kind of in that 24-25 range. Rarely does he drop below 20, and then when he does, he's still in the teens. Like, I don't remember the last single digit we saw where it wasn't injury-related, so that's the upside of Christian McCaffrey. The conversation that all you have to have is, is his upside that much better than Jonathan Taylor? Like, if they both play 17 games, yes. is Christian McCaffrey two points per game better, or is it .8, one point per game? Because then that's coming like, well, then just why risk it? If it's the two points per game, you can make a serious argument and say, just take Christian McCaffrey because he can win your league. That's a lot for a running back to average two more points per week. So... That's where it comes down to my projections. I, I don't know where yours fall into play, but mine are very close to Jonathan Taylor because of the touchdown upside. That's the biggest concern I have about Christian McCaffrey this year. It's just not even the health, not his touches. I think the touches are going to be there, whether it's Foreman backing him up or I think it's going to be Foreman more than Hubbard. But that being said is I just think that the Jonathan Taylor is going to approach 20 where on that team still as it's constructed today with Sam Darnold, you're talking about 10 to 14-ish touchdowns for Christian McCaffrey, and that's just a big offset. And that's exactly why I have Jonathan Taylor projected for more fantasy points than Christian McCaffrey. That's what a computer tells me, mm -hmm. Jake. If I just wanted to listen to the computer, <laughs> I'd do that. I'd probably win more. But there's something about this that it seems, I don't know, like I, I have 
Jonathan Taylor projected for 21 touchdowns right now, almost 1,700 yards rushing, still another 400 through the air on 41 catches, where with McCaffrey, it was just a shade under 1,100 in terms of rushing on less than 250 attempts. I have him around 90 catches and 800 yards. That's fantastic news, even for half, even for standard leagues. That's fine. Like, that's those points yeah. still count, yeah. even if you don't, I mean, the extra 91 for PPR is great, or even half that for half point, but only four touchdowns through the air. Like, I only have him double the touchdowns of what Jonathan Taylor is expected to see through the air. And, like, that does create – I mean, they're close, especially in full-point PPR. Like, they're within – Hell, eight points of each other and half point PPR. It's a lead of like 30 for Jonathan Taylor. So all the numbers would indicate that Jonathan Taylor should be the number one guy. But a lot of these projections are factoring in just the sustained injury history now over the past two years of Christian McCaffrey. And that hasn't, as you mentioned, that hasn't been the case when we've seen him actually play. There has been no throttling back with Christian McCaffrey. It's not like, well, we need to maintain his health. He's only seen 60% of the snaps. That doesn't happen to Christian McCaffrey. When he's on the field, he gets the ball through the air, on the ground as much as possible, even with Sam Darnold as the quarterback. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that changing as long as he's healthy. So you project that guy. I do think that he's probably two (laughs) points a game better, like just with some bad touchdown luck from Jonathan Taylor. Let's say he doesn't score 22 touchdowns. He scores 13, which is still a lot of touchdowns for someone. And instead of scoring 14 total, it's 16 total for Christian McCaffrey. Well, all of a sudden he's like three points a game better. Yeah. And you know, a lot of my projections are very similar to you just up and down different ways. Uh, The one thing I will say that we do have differently is I am 13 points behind and half. And when I put it to full point PPR, he actually jumps 13 points ahead. So that's where we differ a little bit in that area, but like a lot of the numbers you threw out are pretty similar for mine. And that's what it comes down to is you just kind of balance out, like you said, touchdown regression. For So Jonathan Taylor was 5.4% of his rushes. He scored a touchdown. A 4% of your rushes for a touchdown is a pretty solid number. That's actually high-end stuff. Most guys average in the three range, sometimes a lot in the low threes. I'll give you an example. Last year, I think Joe Mixon was 4.4. The year before that, or well, two years before that, when he was healthy, it was 3.4. So to kind of give you that range of what to expect. So as you said, when Jonathan Taylor falls into the fours, Christian McCaffrey gets up to the high threes. Just that alone with how much he's going to be doing the passing game probably puts him neck and neck. So I completely agree with you. I don't think anything's going to change, as you mentioned. Also because, you know, Curtis, or not Curtis Samuel, so it's the wrong team. Robbie Anderson, with an E-I-E, by the way, Robbie Anderson now is whether or not he bounces back. Terrace Marshall really bombed as a rookie. Uh, you know, sure, yeah, Tommy Tremble, Ian Thomas, and the t- but it's just Christian McCaffrey's going to get his. He's essentially the number two when healthy in the passing game behind DJ Moore. The only issue would be they bring in Dante Foreman. They still have Chuba Hubbard sticking around that maybe they do incorporate those guys. That's like a worst case scenario for what you're doing with Christian McCaffrey. But in early drafts, depending on the type of settings that you're using in best ball, Christian McCaffrey still going inside the top three picks overall. In full-point PPR, in redraft league so far this season, he's going as pick number three. In half-point PPR, he's falling down to like five, six, and seven, which seems insane to me. Uh, That's definitely insane to me. It really comes down to look. If you're going to play the injury game, there's a lot of running backs you could play the injury game with. Uh, You could play the injury game with Derrick Henry. Whatever you want to be. I just don't go with that thought process unless it's something where it's a nagging like Dalvin Cook starting to get a lot of similar injuries that hasn't played a full season. 
soft tissue, multiple soft tissue injuries. But Barkley's freak injuries, Christian McCaffrey's unrelated injuries, you know, those kind of things like Derrick Henry for the first time. And, you know, that's what happens when your legs are that long. You just run into these situations. I'm just not going to play that game. I'm going to go for what you said for the upside. Any of these guys, any given week, you could have the healthiest running back in the world go down in week one. You could have Leonard Fournette, who used to be injured all the time, and back to college, and then he's healthy on top of it. Joe Mixon, finally healthy last year after missing the time before that. So you could play that game. I'm not going to do it. We've talked about that a lot. I think Christian McCaffrey, for me, is rock solid. He's not moving out of the number two for spot for him. And, yes, there is a conversation if you want to put him in that number one. I Go back to the Foreman thing is, you know, I don't know how they brought it. I don't know how he got a job after doing nothing and after how he bombed, bombed. But don't forget, McAdoo is now the offensive coordinator, too, for people that forgot about the Joe Brady situation from last year. I guess that's the downside, too, is if McAdoo stinks again and then just ruins the entire offense like Jason Garrett did to the Giants. I guess that's the downside to McCaffrey, too. Is there any downside in Indianapolis with Matt Ryan taking over as quarterback? Now, this could have been a pure Atlanta thing, but really since the heyday of the Tevin Coleman and, oh my God. Devonta Freeman. Devonta Freeman. I was going to say Devonta Foreman. I was like, no, 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 that's not right. That's not even his name. Now I'm just getting everyone <laughs> mixed up. But yeah, since that heyday, we, like, we've never really seen, I guess Gurley kind of did it one year, but he wasn't even really that good, that a Matt Ryan-led offense... Now, no, they've never had anyone of the quality of Jonathan Taylor in the offensive setup that they have. But uh, there's just it's just so funny that you see the fans of these teams and even analysts being like, well, Wentz goes to Washington. What an upgrade in Washington. Well, Matt Ryan goes to Indianapolis. What an upgrade in Indianapolis. Isn't there a chance that all of these guys just suck? <laughs> so I, it, yes and no. Like, so it comes down to how much of an upgrade. Like, so I actually don't think Wentz, we had that conversation, Wentz is that much of an upgrade of Heineke. I actually don't think if you look at it objectively, Matt Ryan is an upgrade from Carson Wentz, but it's not that much. Like Carson Wentz had some problems last year. He played some terrible games. It wasn't as bad as people make it out to be. And that's why, yes, Matt Ryan upgrade sure any targeted Cordell Patterson out of the backfield plenty and as you mentioned before had productive running backs behind him I'm not concerned about Matt Ryan downgrading Jonathan Taylor at all if on honestly if anything because as you mentioned last year how Matt Ryan likes the galaxy brain once he's in the red zone is that you might even see 20 rushing touchdowns for Jonathan Taylor because this team just says like Matt Ryan stop stop we're just gonna run Jonathan Taylor that would be preferable in this situation to see what happens with Jonathan Taylor. Listen, I'm trying. I'm just trying to make an argument of how can you put Christian McCaffrey at number one if you disclude all the safety that goes along with Jonathan Taylor. And as you mentioned, any running back can get injured on any play. We're not pretending like it's not. But you may even mention the soft tissue, like these hamstring injuries. I mean, that's not good news for Christian McCaffrey. Now I'm trying to talk myself out of it. I guess the question boils down to this. You are sitting with the number one pick in your redraft league right now. And this might change three weeks from now, two months from now, based on the information that you have at the time. Who are you taking at number one? Jonathan Taylor. With a bullet. Like, there's no debate for you. There's not. Because every argument we made for Christian McCaffrey, it goes back to what I started this with, is best case scenario, yeah, you can get to two points per game more. That's the likelihood, though, of that happening is on the low end of the scale. The likelihood of them getting neck and neck, much likelier to happen. And that's how you kind of have to play these situations is like this is what it comes down to draft strategy and everything you do is like you want to set yourself up for the best chance to succeed. Yes, we just talked about the ways things can happen, but there's so much, you know, 
I know we're not talking wide receivers, but I keep throwing the stat out all offseason for the Cooper Cup thing. Is if you take off 20% of Cooper Cup's share from last year, his numbers from last year, he's neck and neck with Debo. He's one point behind Debo Samuel. If you take off 40%, he's number nine at wide receiver. That I throw that out there to say, like, the odds of that 40% happening outside of an injury is what? 1% if that. So that's what I say. Like the odds of McCaffrey outperforming Jonathan Taylor, if both are healthy for 17 games and everything goes, it's probably like a 10% chance them finishing neck and neck. I'd say 50, 50, but that's why I would still take Jonathan Taylor just because everything's on his side. All the cases you make seem so reasonable and smart, but I still want to, I think if it was me right now, I would take Christian McCaffrey number one. Uh, and I, you know what? And I'm not, I'm not going to argue and say you're stupid to do so. Well, thank you. That makes me feel better about myself. But I guess <laughs> well, they, because I'm going to make the same argument for another running back that everybody calls me stupid for saying, but we're going to get to him what, with what, inside what, the top what, 10, what, at least what, mine. When you have Saquon Barkley ranked at number three? Uh, seven. Seven. Okay. But he is the guy. And listen, I can get behind that to a certain extent. There's another guy who's way down the list that people seem to be down on that I'm super high on. I'm just, you know, I'm, I got reefer madness for one of these guys uh, inside my top 10. <laughs> But in terms of McCaffrey and Taylor, if we're building tiers, I do think that they're in a tier by themselves as by far the best too. Then you start getting into a mix of, you know, a smorgasbord of guys in what I would consider tier two. And you can make a case if you want to vault someone up into tier one from this pack, but you have Henry, Cook, Eckler, Harris, Mixon, Swift, Jones, Chubb, Fournette. I think that's probably the next tier of guys. I have a few other names that I want to throw in. You're going to add Barkley. I'm going to add my guy in here in a minute, but... Do any of those guys have a legitimate case for tier one? I would say it's probably Eckler, but I think that he kind of accomplished the best he's ever going to do last season. And we can even use what your method was of taking 20% off. How good would he look then? But I don't think it goes hand in hand like that with Eckler. I could see not necessarily a role change coming in for him, but they just used him too much last year. I don't think he can hold up to that again. I don't think they want him to. I said this about during the draft time is Isaiah Spiller. They finally got it right to find a compliment to him. They've been trying with Jackson and even Roundtree, which that wasn't going to happen. But Joshua Kelly, they've been trying because they know Eckler's best in that 14, 16 touch range. And let's keep him healthy over the entire season. I'm just like, I firmly will keep arguing Derrick Henry's in tier one for me because Derrick Henry outscored Jonathan Taylor last year on a per game basis. And even if you want to take his year before that and use that number, he's barely behind him by fewer than a point per game on a point per game basis. I think he's right there with Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey. I don't like relying on touchdowns, but if you're talking about the fact that somebody who is guaranteed to score double digit touchdowns is Derrick Henry, he's going to get high 300 carries again. Yes. He finally just got hurt, but let's also remember Derrick Henry for the first two years of his career wasn't Derrick Henry. He split with DeMarco Murray and, um, oh, the one that used to play for the Patriots that I just had a brave for, that everybody loved for that brief. Who was the one that, the other one they split with that used to play for the Patriots? Can you think of it? Ben Jarvis Green Ellis? No, no. I'll think of it at some point. But Len, anyway. What was it? Lenda- he, no, Lendale White was there when Chris Johnson was there. Lendale was was already gone. It was the one that everybody wanted to take that second year after DeMarco Murray left. I can't think. Anyway, Derrick Henry's really only had two years of insane workload. And yeah, he's getting up there in age because, again, those first two years, he's been in the league multiple years now. But on a touch basis, he's going to approach 400 touches with most of them coming in the run game. 
And then it's just the double digit touchdowns. Like I have him for 16 combined, only one receiving. And that gives him for points comparison for everybody out there. So I have Jonathan, half point PBR. Jonathan Taylor's at 323. McCaffrey's at 310. Derrick Henry's at 304. And then there's a drop down to Najee Harris at 276. And that's why I put him in that tier one. I'm just, I'm racking my brain trying to think about who that is now. It's not Corey Dillon. <laughs> I can see his, no, I can see his face too. I'm gonna just going to look it up. It's going to aggravate the living hell out of me if I don't. Yeah, you look that up. Deion Lewis. I didn't even, Deion Lewis. Oh, I, they had the pictures standing next to each other where he looked like a little person. Yeah. Derrick Henry looked like he was 20 yes. feet tall. Yes. Yeah. John Lewis. I love Deion Lewis. Yeah. Everyone liked Deion Lewis. He was so good that and one year. I was surprised because you, you loved him and I couldn't, I'm surprised you couldn't think of him. <laughs> Jake, we've been doing this for like over a decade now. All this stuff is just in. I was trying to rack my brain to think about who we were arguing about in like 2012 the other day. I was like, I can't even tell you who's on what team in 2012 anymore. <laughs> we're pushing to only two years before that. Did you and I like start in the same year in 2010? So, I mean, you're getting pretty close to the beginning of our careers. I know. Oh, boy. It's been a while. Maybe we need to get out of this. Who knows? But hey, please still tune in. Sub to Mayo Media Network, by the way, and hit the draft kit down in the description. <laughs> So you would put Henry in. I feel like I'm more comfortable with Henry in tier two because it's not so much the question marks. I know what the upside is going to be, but I just find it funny that there's no negative talk about Derrick Henry and his coming off of injury, returning and being wildly inefficient. Yet there's another running back who's getting dinged for exactly the same thing. Yet everyone feels very comfortable ranking him at like number 16, which I don't quite understand. Not quite the same upside as Henry, but I'm just going to throw it in now. I think that Cam Akers is a part of tier two. I don't understand what the concerns are. Yeah, the guy who came back in record time from an Achilles injury wasn't super efficient in a playoff run. Shocker. Big, big shocker right there. <laughs> now he has the entire offseason to get back healthy. This is a guy people were taking at like six overall last year before he got hurt. Now he's a fourth round pick. Like that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. And so this is where we split up a little bit differently. My tier two is very, very, very small. Mine, my tier two is only Najee Harris and Austin Eckler. Um, but if you're going to expand it and go deeper, I could see like everybody from Austin Eckler down to RB. 12 for me, like Leonard Fournette, I think are in a similar conversation. Like, again, I split them up. I'm okay with you with Cam Akers. I've brought up the same thing as like what you just said. Let's not talk about the fact that also face some tough defenses, including the 49ers. And here's the biggest thing. They brought him back early. They brought him back in a playoff run. And what did they do, Pat? In a playoff run, they gave him bell cow work. They said... We know you just came off an ungodly injury that nobody ever comes back from in this timeline. And in the playoffs, we are going to trust you like a bell cow and basically toss Sonny Michelle off to the side and barely use Daryl Henderson to what he was before. That tells me what the Rams want to do with Cam Akers. And if he is 100%, which everybody's assuming, including all the medical people out there are saying, like, he came back already. Now he has all this time to heal. I'm with you. If you're going to play the game of... I'm okay drafting Derrick Henry, or I'm okay drafting Christian McCaffrey, or like Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Cam Akers should all you can't you can't pick and choose with these guys, in my opinion, because again, none of them are running into this. Okay, it's the same thing. He's blown his knee out three years in a row now. It's the same thing. Like you've seen all these guys come back. You've seen them all except for Derrick Henry. You saw Saquon Barkley come back and not look as good. And Dan Duggan for The Athletic even reported about that, about he just lost his explosiveness. But that's what happens when you come back early and come back from a high ankle sprain, which is a freak injury. If people don't forget, he stepped on the guy's leg. But 
I'm with you on Cam Akers. I think all of these guys deserve to be in the same conversation. You're either in or out on them. I'm in on Akers. He's currently going as pick number 52 in redraft PPR leagues. That's the fifth, the beginning of the fifth round, first pick of the fifth round. Now, I would go earlier on him to make sure that I got him. And I think this is where rankings differ from how you should actually draft people, where if I know, yes. that, like, let's say I end up with Cam Akers ranked as running back seven or something like that. And when I release the top 150, that he's going to be like number 18 overall. Doesn't mean you need to take him at 18. If you can take him at 28, take him at 28 and take someone else. Like the use of the rankings is try to add the summation of all the rankings. And if you can come out the lowest with your total team total, then I feel like you've used the rankings properly. Properly. Like there is context to this that you need to know how to, it's not just like, listen, you could do it off that way. I think that would work out well just by going in the order that they're going and you end up taking a guy three rounds too early. It just, you don't want to do that. And I know that most people know that, but if you're just getting into it or you're very casual and somehow you've stumbled upon this show, then I, I think that you need to learn a little bit of the context. Like I'm using fantasy football calculator right now. Because we're talking mm -hmm. redraft and like the DraftKings best ball ADPs are out there, but I don't think the best ball necessarily like the reaches and draft position in best ball. It's going to be similar, but there are going to be certain guys in certain positions that get massively overvalued in best ball because you really do want to stack up your teams and correlate your teams because right. you're playing for week 17 and you want to try to mat and you're playing against a hundred thousand other people here. We're playing against 10, 12, 14, 16, I mean, I guess it would be 9, 11, 13, or 15 other people in your league. It's just a different mindset. Like, you don't need to shoot for the moon every single time. Like, there's something to, hey, I need to maximize my upside with this team versus I just need to have a good team, and that's good enough. You're 100% right. And talk about this every year, too, is uh, one of the things I preface in my rankings is what you're saying. I have Cam Akers overall at 17, uh, sandwiched between Fournette and C.D. Lamb. You don't, like you just said, you don't have to take them there. Look at the ADPs. And if you see plus 22, okay, well, see where the plus 22 is. It's the 50th pick. So the beginning of the fifth round. So take them at the three, four turn range. So, you know, you get them. Uh, that's kind of how you play. You don't have to take them all the way up in the second round. You can still get that discount because the other side of it is you don't want to buy guys at their peak. I mean, it's obviously almost impossible not to with the first and most of the second round, but you don't want to buy all the risk, all the risk being with Cam Akers is if that they inexplicably go into this year and do only give them 55% and give Kyron Williams and Daryl Henderson more of the share, but don't see that happening. But again, you don't want to buy everything where that you're just absorbing all of the risk and there's no possible return on your investment. So yeah, I'm with you. You have to look at ADP, but that's what the ADP tool should be. The ADP shouldn't be like, oh, let me draft here, 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 and just go down the ADP list. It should be, let me just draft and find where the discrepancies are so I can maximize my draft value. For example, running backs going in the late 20s, early 30s right now. Zeke and Barkley are going 26 and 27. Antonio Gibson and J.K. Dobbins are going 31 and 32 in full point PPR. And then you have Leonard Fournette at uh, 31, 32, 34 Leonard Fournette. 37, Elijah Mitchell, 42, James Conner, with Cam Akers going after Etienne, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and Josh Jacobs uh, at number 52. Like I mentioned, I'm good. Like, you just take out Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins, dump those guys down the list, take Cam Akers at the end of the beginning of the third round, middle of the third round, and you're doing fine. You've reached a round and a half, but I want to get him. That's where I feel comfortable taking him. Yep. And this also helped too is like the roster construction as a whole. Like if you want to say you're like a my camp where most often I want to get two running backs. I'm not always going to have this happen, but most often I want to get two running backs in the first three rounds. Well, 
if you see the Cam Akers and you know that at third round, you're guaranteed to get him versus RDP because he's still at the end of the fourth, then you can easily say, well, round two, I'm definitely, you know, I'm going to attack one of these high level wide receivers to give my good ta- team a good balance. Or conversely, let's, let's say Cam Akers for an, for argument's sake was going to like the end of the fifth round. Well, then you say, you know, well, then I'll draft them at the beginning of the fourth and get two wide receivers in the second or third, which might, might not be my typical strategy, but because I'm so happy with Akers as my RB two, and this is how you kind of play the ADP roster makeup and, you know, building this team. Do you go in with a strategy of what you want to do, or does that really depend on the pick that you have? Uh, it depends on the pick, but also it depends on the draft. You know, again, I'm bell cow running back hashtag bell cow RB or whatever people want to do. Like I hate hero RB, but anyway, point being is I want to, you know, this, as long as you know me, I want to get two running backs in the first three rounds because I don't want to hit the dead zone. That's now been tagged in that fourth through sixth range, which we see the hit rate of those are miserable. Mike Davis, miles Gaskin, but, all but the rest that, from last year is a that, perfect example. I feel like that has changed this year that everyone is now just aware of the dead zone. And there's nothing I got more wrong than Mike Davis last year. I thought he was going to be a good value with all the volume did get, I mean, I didn't see mm-hmm. Cordero Patterson coming for a second, but he still did get great. <laughs> he, he still got great volume and was still absolutely terrible. So that was just wrong, straight up wrong. It cost me a few fantasy championships. That sucks. And uh, hopefully not looking to repeat that error this year. But in terms of (laughs) bell cow, like I'm just looking down the list. And that's sort of my tier two right now is the rest of the bell cow guys. And there's a couple other names we can throw into this. But my tier two after McCaffrey and Taylor, I think that's tier one. I'll have Henry on the next tier down at the top of the tier, but on that tier down. Because I think like when I try to separate the tiers, it's where would I take these guys versus tiers at other positions? Like if I go McCaffrey and Taylor one, two, who would I take number three overall if those two guys were off the board? I'd probably take Cooper Cup before I took Derrick Henry. And I'd probably take Justin Jefferson before I took Derrick Henry. And then maybe I take Derrick Henry in the run running backs at that spot I haven't come listen, I haven't finalized my top 150 we're just working through running backs at the moment but that, at least in my mindset that's what I feel like I would do and that's what my rankings are going to reflect so I have Henry Eckler Cook Najee Harris Cam Akers Fournette Saquon Barkley Joe Mixon the only other bell cow honestly that I can identify from the rest of the running backs is David Montgomery I feel like everyone else is in some sort of split situation from high-end splits to low-end splits whatever it might be but Montgomery is the one who kind of sits alone I kind of like Khalil Herbert taking him really late I felt like he became like as soon as Montgomery got injured last year Herbert was the bell cow he never really worked his way back in to taking away here taking away there and yeah you got to really hedge against Justin Fields and his rushing ability too. But usually that helps the running back more than hinders the running back, especially with a weak offensive line that having a mobile quarterback really creates running lanes for a lot of these guys. I don't think that David Montgomery should be on this tier because his offense is awful. The overall scoring potential is awful. (laughs) But when you talk about bell cows, I think that his snap share and touch share is going to be higher than Aaron Jones and Nick Chubb and Connor and Javante Williams and DeAndre Swift. I don't know if he's a better fantasy player than those guys, but volume wise, I do think that he is better. See, I'll differ a little bit in the fact that most of the names you threw out. Yes, I have Swift with more touches than him. And I think like I not Aaron Jones. I'm with you on Aaron Jones. Uh, actually, very similar numbers to David Montgomery on a touch basis. Uh, I'd say you st- would you put Antonio Gibson? I still have him as bell cow ish. I see, basically. See, I don't with the return of. Oh my God! Why am I just spacing McKissick? My McKissick, JD. I was, was going to say J.K. Dobbins. I only I have like, I only have Gibson for like thirty receptions. 
Better have I, him for 250 carries. I don't like Gibson. I and mean, if we're going to believe some early reports, we do have the report that Antonio Gibson could see few. This has less goal line work, but it'd be yeah, it'd be less goal line. Fewer touches near the goal line. <laughs> uh, if we're looking at that, I don't necessarily Thank know. Thank you, if Stannis. I, yeah, yeah, I don't know if uh, <laughs> I necessarily believe that or not. But just a lot of feels like a lot is conspiring against a high end Antonio Gibson this year. And that's certainly fair. You know, it, the biggest concern you would have is the carries. Uh, I don't see him. And this is what I've been actually saying about Antonio Gibson is just have to face facts as Washington who likes what Gibson and what he is. It's weird that you go from being a majority pass catcher to a majority rusher and very little passing game work. But when they brought back McKissick and the way they've been treated, like they don't want Gibson used that much in the passing game. Just face it. If Brian Robinson is going to steal some and steal the goal line work as has been the concern about his fumbles, then yes, uh, the 250 rushes is way too high. That's where I stand as of today. We still have some time to find out. But you've, so to go back to the David Montgomery, Javante Williams having that same touch as you do, James Conner, same touch range. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the only one that I think that you mentioned was I have Swift for 270, but that's with 69 receptions. So that's a lot in the passing game. And I think pretty much everybody else, I'm kind of similar to you, is the, the split backfield work. Um, yeah, Antonio Gibson, I keep saying that. It's like people don't realize how few rush attempts he had and split with A.J. Dillon last year. If you ask them offhand, I don't think they realize how much was split. I do. I think I like Aaron Jones more than most. Uh, and this could just be pulling out a stupid sample that is absolutely meaningless. But no Devontae Adams? In the no Devontae Adams games, he was electric in terms of fantasy points. Like, they just used him more in the receiving game. He became sort of the focal point of their offense where they could give Dylan more carries, but just incorporated Jones more. I don't know if that's going to persist because they completely rebuilt this receiving core in what they wanted. I mean, not not to the levels of having a Devontae Adams, but they've brought in new players. <laughs> Will that change? I, I think that he could be a value. I don't have the most faith in it, but depending on where he goes, I think he's one that you could snag going down the board because everyone's kind of talked themselves out of him at the moment. And I do think that he possesses a lot of upside. The thing I don't understand, I like DeAndre Swift. I think he's a great player. But his situation sucks. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a bad situation because of the coaching staff and how they utilize him. I just don't want to fall into a situation where, you know, one week, I mean, it'd be great when he's running back two and running back one and has these huge games. And then the next week he's running back 45 because Jamal Williams is being used for no reason. They'll bring the corpse of Zach Zenner back, get him in there. Like, yeah, I just don't, I don't know, I don't know what this offense does and why he is not the focal point over and over. It seems like they just get disinterested week to week. See, I think that if people are not saying, you know, like some people forgot last year that before he got hurt, and the comparison I keep making, he's Austin Eckler. It's no, he's not going to run the ball 17 times in a game, but he's going to run it 11 to 15. And then every single week, it was eight targets, four, seven, six, five. People don't, or see him because I think it's the, the the stink of Jared Goff and the quote unquote coaching staff has realized that like his target percentage for running backs when those first games until he got hurt, which was I think was like week nine or 10 or it was after that when he got hurt, like so it was week 11 or whatever it was, but that he was one of the highest, if not the highest targeted running back before he got hurt. And yeah, Amon Ryan St. Brown was in the thing and there was no TJ Hawkinson and they brought in other what, Jameson Williams and all that type of stuff and point being is I don't think it's going to completely go away. Do I think he's going to see 
Christian McCaffrey targets? No, but an Austin Eckler type season, which Austin Eckler, not even 200 carries, but you get the 65 to 75. I would, again, I am at 69, so he's right in that middle range. He's Austin Eckler on a worse team, but that's why I have DeAndre Swift as a low end RB1 and Austin Eckler as a high end RB1. It's just the team difference. I see the touches and the share being almost identical. Potentially so, but so much of Austin Eckler's value last season was wrapped up in just how many touchdowns he scored, which seems completely unsustainable. And DeAndre Swift is probably around the right level for that. Like last year, he had seven touchdowns. And you do point to something somewhat critical here is that to start the season, 11, 5, 7, 6, 6, 7, 10 targets a game. That is low-end RB1 production. What's not is what happened after the injury. And you have 5, 6, 4, 3, 3, 5. I don't know what is happening there. Do they try to like you could talk about them like easing him back in to what's going on, but he had 33 carries in one of those games. Like he's I just feel it's not that he's unreliable because he's the type of running back that will win you weeks. But in terms of the week to week consistency that you want from your season long team, I just feel like he's one of the more higher variance, high end running backs that you have. And that would put him sure. solely in that Aaron Jones conversation. Like I think that those two guys are very similar because I do feel like the up, the weekly upside with Aaron Jones is still just as high. And now without a Devonte Adams around all of a sudden his floor might be probably better than Deandre Swift's anyway. And I could see that. And so we just differ a little bit on that. I do have Swift in this conversation. I, you know what? It, it comes down to two is what your draft construction is going to be. Like if I drafted Swift, you know, early second round and, you know, maybe I went wide receiver in the first and then the guys we've talked about, like I wouldn't pair Swift and Barkley and Swift and Acres or Barkley and Acres and like that just because you're asking for trouble with two of those. I would try to get some balance out of that. Like, even if I took Christian McCaffrey, it's not that I would cross Swift off my board, but I would take some big hesitancy there and pairing a duo like that, despite the fact that Swift could, everything breaks right, Swift could finish RB6 and Christian McCaffrey be RB1, and then you're like, oh my God, look. But again, going back to the odds of these things happening and trying to give yourself the best chance for success. So I don't disagree with you on the risk of Swift. I'm just more positive on what we saw for the use before he got hurt i think this team's going to look better this year i think go back to jared goff i say this with the wide receivers but jared goff also ran an offense yes it was a mcveigh offense but he ran an offense with todd Gurley having sky and i'm not saying swift is todd Gurley, but skyrocketed numbers that had tyler Gurley as the number one running back in fantasy so you talk about talent level, I say Swift is on Eckler, and that's why I don't think he's Todd Gurley, because again, he's not going to carry the ball 20 times per game. But I think you just look at the difference in that backfield, and nobody, is similar to Austin Eckler, nobody's on his level. Like Jamal Williams, yeah, fine replacement level running back. Jamar Jefferson, Craig Reynolds, whoever else they throw back there, they're just, it's such a, if you talk about tiers, I mean, you're talking about a tier one running back, and then a bunch of guys who are on tier four, five, and six. I agree, but... We've seen them use those guys. And it's it's not like, sure. we're, not, we're not even thinking about like with, with McCaffrey, it's like, oh, it's an injury concern. With Cam Akers, it's an injury concern. With with Saquon Barkley, it's an injury concern. With Derrick Henry, whoever it might be, Dalvin Cook, injury concern. I'm not even like worried about an injury concern with Swift, although he was banged up last year. It's if he's completely healthy, are they even going to use the guy? every single week. And that, I think, is the biggest red flag for me of keeping him out of this tier. It's not like I'm ranking DeAndre Swift at number 41 overall, but I think they're 
I'm making the case that he is not going to be in my tier two. He's going to be in my tier three of running backs. And I'm going to elevate some other guys whose roles I think are more defined with higher upside and weekly consistency when healthy. I'll inherit the injury risk for the safety of knowing what the role is rather than going in the reverse and maybe getting stuck with a guy I don't want. Okay. And that's, you know, that comes down to preference too. So let's talk about Delvin Cook. They're okay. gonna they're gonna pass more in Minnesota now. Have you heard that? <laughs> I know. I heard that all of a sudden they're gonna be throwing seven hundred times this year. I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> That's great news. I mean, that might make Justin Jefferson the number one receiver if they throw seven hundred times this year. But what does this do for Cook? What does his role look like? Does Madison get more worked in? Because it doesn't seem like he's very good outside of being that complimentary piece, but maybe they're like, hey, let's give him 10 carries a game and we're going to take some of the the workload off of Cook. And we've seen him be banged up over and over. Just no one has more what seems to be season-ending injuries in-game only to return three plays later than Delvin Cook. Every time he gets hit, it looks like the most (laughs) devastating injury in the world. (laughs) <laughs> and then also like he'll come back within the game too. yeah so. no yeah like three plays I, later I, like he's he's just back <laughs> he's the, the he's the black knight from monty python he's just i'm not dead yet i'm fine or not dead yet i just mixed two in there but you know what i'm saying uh it comes down to i also think that it's not just dalvin cook and that they're going to pass more so maybe that hurts him in his touch department but dalvin cook's a fine pass catcher i think this just comes down to let's be smart as the team let's be smart and that whether it's Madison or Chandler, who they drafted, who can see some work in the passing game and even steal a few touches, and you're just going to seed a little bit off Dalvin Cook. And not a ton. Like, I still have Dalvin Cook for 270 carries. He's still going to, for mine, barely eclipse. Again, I don't, I don't project missed games, even for somebody with the injury history like Dalvin Cook. I only do it for suspensions. So this is over a 17-game season for everybody out there. So I'm, I'm at 240 with – or not – yeah – 269 rushes and then 43 receptions so he's getting just over 300 touches that on a per game basis if he plays 17 games is actually a little bit low for dalvin cook giving what he does in this team is like so i just don't think we're going to see the 25 carry games or you know that kind of workload anymore so there's a little bit of a concern there but i still have dalvin cook inside my top 10 he's back end top 10 But if you're going off past seasons, that's actually kind of disrespectful if you think about it, unless you expect him to have a little bit of a seated workload. Joe Mixon or Delvin Cook? Joe Mixon. Like with a bullet? Yeah. I would just, and that's where I'll come into play and say, like, look, Joe Mixon has missed time, but Delvin Cook's missed time every single year. Joe Mixon's missed time and then played a full season. And, you know, that, and then I go to the offenses is, We've already seen the Bengals pass plenty and what just happened last year. And Joe Mixon was still the biggest thing. I go back two years ago. I just mentioned it. Joe Mixon's numbers on a rush and reception basis were very similar to 2019. The biggest difference was this offense was actually good and got him touchdowns. And they improved their offensive line, we think, on paper by the moves they made in free agency. So the biggest knock on Joe Mixon going into this offseason was like, can he do it again? Because that offensive line was trash and he actually did better than what people expected. So I would take Joe Mixon easily because I have him for similar touches. Actually, I have, for reference, I have Joe Mixon for 270 carries and 44 receptions. So a little bit more, about one touch per game more work, but now it comes down to the offenses, and I think that he'll score a little bit more and then less risk in what I think that could be, not even just injuries. I just think that Cook, where I have him at 305-ish touches, 
I think he might. There's a there's a scenario where it's even fewer than that that he falls into the 280 range. It's interesting. Only because I agree with you. I think that Joe Mixon is probably the pick. Although when I reverse engineer it in my mind and I say one of these guys finishes running back one this year, the answer is very clearly Delvin Cook. <laughs> sure. If they keep, if they go back to give him like 28 touches per game. Yeah. The, Delvin Cook is, I think that that's how you have to look at it. I, I would not disagree with you at all. I think if you're saying who could be number one, like I would never say Joe Mixon. It would be Dalvin Cook. I just don't think it's the the opportunity that's going to be given to either one of them. Do you know that I have Najee Harris projected for as many targets as Christian McCaffrey? It doesn't surprise me. I don't have him quite as much. I have him for 90, but that doesn't surprise me. Do we expect regression in that regard with the quarterback change because Ben could only throw the ball three yards and that just turned out to be pretty good for Najee Harris? That he no. was just the man standing in front of him? <laughs> No, because let's not forget Trubisky. Oh, that Tariq Cohen guy? Yeah, the, Trubisky throws to the running backs. Actually, the concern I would have is not knowing how Pickett is going to divvy up his share. Because if you look at Trubisky and you look at Ben Roethlisberger, and I know this because I wrote up the article when it happened when, before the draft when they signed Trubisky, and I actually pointed out that Ben Roethlisberger for the past three seasons wasn't even better than the Trubisky that we know. And then if you look at how they divvy up their share – Trubisky's a little bit flatter than Ben Roethlisberger when it comes to targeting running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends. Uh, you pull back a little bit on tight end for Trubisky and increase a little bit for running backs. So you could almost say it's like Trubisky might be just as good, if not better, for Najee Harris, whether or not the offense has as much success. But again, Ben Roethlisberger was doo-doo the past three years. So Trubisky is I'm okay with. It's what happens if Kenny Pickett, what happens if Kenny Pickett beats him out by week one? I know he's running with a third team and he's not even in the threat, but what if Pickett takes over at week six and he reverts and goes to, I target wide receivers all the time and I barely ever look to running back similar to Jared Goff from two years ago. Like what if that's how Pickett plays? There's if, my concern. If that, with, if with that, Trubisky, if, I'm if, not. If that's the case, then if, if that's the case and Pickett doesn't target the running backs out of the backfield, targets Najee Harris out of the backfield, essentially he just becomes <laughs> higher end Nick Chubb. Yeah. That's a good comparison for it, which is why I think Najee Harris has a great floor and why to go back to what we were talking about tiers. That's why I have Austin Eckler and Najee Harris in my second tier at four and five. And then another gap for the rest of these guys we've been talking about is because I still think Najee Harris's floor, let's say even say Kenny Pickett week one and doesn't target the running backs that much. You just mentioned Nick Chubb. I think the floor for Najee Harris because of the workload and what we know and what has been said from his own mouth is the fact that Mike Tomlin loves, loves, loves bell cows, James Conner. He just loves bell cow running backs. What's the floor for Najee Harris? RB10, Nick Chubb, as you just said. So maybe I do need to break these into two little tiers. So tier one, McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor. Tier two, Henry, Harris, and Eckler. Are we sold on... Eckler, like we said, if we take away 20% yeah. of his stats, and I mean, I haven't projected for 16 touchdowns right now. That still seems really high. I have him for 14, and I still have him in this range. So I think that Austin Eckler still deserves to be in this conversation because, yeah, the only downside to Eckler in this offense that could even improve a little bit if they throw downfield a little bit more, as in open things up for everybody. I mean, I just don't see that Eckler, if he doesn't miss time how he's not right back into this tier are we convinced that he's going to rush the ball within the five yard line and that doesn't go to spiller mm, 
I am generally because I'm a, and this is, this is why I say this, I'm a Spiller guy. Like a lot of people think I'm too high on Isaiah Spiller. But if I'm going to trust between the two of them, I think they're very similar in their between the tackle ability and that you could even say that Eckler is better and has proven to be better. There's a knock on Isaiah Spiller, whether he can do that and whether he doesn't have that burst to get to the second level when going through the offensive line. So all that being said is I'm a Spiller guy and I would still take Eckler over Spiller when it comes to that, that those kind of touches. Hmm. If he's, if he's not <laughs> up there, like it just, if we see massive, like he, if he goes from like 20 to eight touchdowns, how good is he? Mm, so he loses six for my projection. So he loses eight for yours, but six for mine, 36 points, drops him down to 230 and change. So he drops down to Nick Chubb. Okay. Basically. And, and I was actually going to make a case for it. I, I've been pretty anti Nick Chubb since he's come into the league, but I do think that this is probably setting up to be the best situation that he's been in so far, just with the suspected no Baker, probably no Watson, Jacoby Brissett. That just sounds like a whole lot of running. <laughs> it does, but uh, I just made this point on the athletic podcast yesterday. My counter argument to that is like, they, so Beller said, would you move Nick Chubb up or down? Like if it's a full season of Brissett or if it's a half a season, like for me, it's, I'm not moving Nick Chubb because it's going to be offset, in my opinion. When you saw you say, like, Jacoby Brissett, more running. Well, yeah, but you're also talking about a less efficient offense, less upside, less scoring opportunities. They come off the field more because Brissett can't convert a third down, and he's only throwing six yards on a third and eight because Brissett's average per completion is, like, nine yards and change, and that's per completion, not per attempt. So I just think the offense is less quality or lower quality and that Nick Chubb still finishes in this range, but now you're talking about instead of – 1200 rushing yards 200 receiving and 12 rushing touchdowns now you're talking 1400 rushing yards but still now eight touchdowns i just think it's going to be offset by the scoring opportunity eckler was seventh in attempts inside the five yard line last year it was jonathan taylor james connor yeah. damian harris mixon daryl williams jalen hurts and then austin eckler was tied with antonio gibson david montgomery delvin cook and josh jacobs and ezekiel elliott i mean that sounds about right he had 25 inside the 10 he had 46 inside the 20 it feels like those numbers go down and but i don't think they'll go down precipitously i don't think it'll be an enormous amount where you're and we can also talk about the fact you know austin eckler doesn't need to be at the goal line to score but i don't think it's gonna be enough to knock him out of this tier like i said you're we're kind of like giving everybody all the scenarios of like how this goes sideways and how they improve and how they finish as number one i just think even the downside of austin eckler is I still think I think if we're talking Nick Chubb and we're talking how both these guys go wrong, I would still take the even wrongness of Eckler over the wrongness of Nick Chubb. Yes, but I don't think I would take the wrongness of Austin Eckler versus the wrongness of Najee Harris. I would have I would take Harris before no. I took I would take Harris before I took Eckler. So that creates the top five. I have Harris over Eckler. McCaffrey, Taylor, Henry, Harris, Eckler. One, two, three, four, five. That sound good? That's exactly how I have him. Well, yep. I, I, oh, you have Taylor McCaffrey. I have McCaffrey Taylor. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I do think that those are two distinct tiers between those two, those three. So we'll drop down to tier three. And I'm good with making this a solo tier. You've kind of talked me into Barkley. Can you do the spiel for Saquon for me? Because right now I have it. I have because I have Mixon and Delvin Cook. They could be the back end of this tier. They could be on the next tier by themselves. But I like Akers, Fournette, and Barkley in this spot. 
I do too. And you know, we already talked about it. I have Swift in this conversation. Um, and I'm not, I, and, I, and I'm not feeling that conversation for Swift cook. You could sell me on Mixon. You can sell me on Montgomery. You can sell me on potentially Chubb and Aaron Jones and maybe one other name. I mean, you could actually technically throw James Conner into this. I don't believe, but I think that <laughs> projecting it out, it logically makes sense. I just don't know if that's going to hold up, but those three acres, Fournette and Barkley get those guys right this year, get the one who's right. You win. And here's what it comes down to Barkley. And everybody keeps talking about, oh, we're going to play this game again. But let's just go back to last year and remember what actually happened. Everybody said by the end of September, we should expect a healthy Barkley. Let's talk about October going forward. You and I talked about this last year when I kept saying things you've brought up many times before. Go back to Le'Veon Bell's suspension where he actually missed time. Easier to make up running back missing games or not being themselves at the beginning of the season. You were draft if you were on Barkley last year, you were drafting Barkley for October and beyond. People are upset because the October and beyond didn't happen. But what happened right before that, and people need to go back and remember this, is everybody in that game before the Cowboys in weeks three and four, where he totaled over a hundred yards in both, had a touchdown in both, people were like, oh my God. It looks like Barkley's back. It looks like Barkley's back to being 100%. And they're like, it's even happening before we expected it to. And then he steps on the Cowboys defender's leg and rolls his ankle, and he's toast after that. He wasn't 100% when he came back. He never looked like himself again. I referenced this earlier in the show where Dan Duggan said that he just didn't. I think his, I'm paraphrasing, but his tweet was about the fact that where Barkley before the injury was getting to that second burst, not second level, his, his second gear essentially, was happening right before he got hurt, he never got back to having that again. And if you don't, and you're not getting that burst immediately as you get through the line, you're going to get bottled up. You're going to be back into the conversation of like a, a, a David Montgomery. Like, yeah, you're explosive if some blocking really helps you, but you just don't have that elite level of getting there. We saw it. He got hurt. Wasn't 100%. If you don't want to play this game, you don't want to play it with Christian McCaffrey. You don't want to play it with Derek Henry. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to say, okay, take the guy who's been hurt before. But if you look at the offensive line, similar to Cincinnati Bengals, better. Thomas played better towards the end of the year. They drafted Evan Neal. Everybody's overall Brian Dable and what he did for Josh Allen. Here's the other one I'll say. If you're in on him being able to fix Daniel Jones in the passing game, how are you not in on trying to make Saquon better when you just saw what this backfield did last year when it was down to Devin Singletary? So Barkley is a top five talent. If he's anywhere near 100%, he's going to be a top five running back. Yeah, I'm definitely putting Joe Mixon and Delvin Cook back in this tier now that I'm just looking at these names (laughs) and trying to think about it because I think I would take both those guys above Barkley. Would I take them above Cam Akers? I mean, I don't I have Mixon over Barkley. I have Cook behind Barkley by one spot, and then I have Acres right there. So that I'm a little bit lower, but even though I'm on with you with Acres, they're all in the same group for me. I like Acres better than I like Barkley, but the sa- the safety of Mixon and Cook just based on their roles, not concerning injuries. Let's call everyone injury agnostic in this tier. When we just think about how it goes, Mixon's going to see 80-plus percent. Cook should see at least 75-plus percent. So should Saquon. And theoretically, so should Cam Akers. And Fournette, maybe. Fournette is more of the only question mark, I think, in terms of volume on this team. However, if you put all these guys at the same amount of volume and circle them, Fournette's the best fantasy player of them. Mm, He certainly is. And the difference, to go what you're saying about Acres and Barkley is mine really comes down to touches and the fact that I have Barkley more usage in the passing game than Acres, even though I, 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 Acres was used in the passing game. Again, he was bell cow roll. 
It's just that I have Saquon Barkley for 90 targets, and I have Cam Akers for in the 50s, which would still be high end for Cam Akers so far of his career. It is. However, I would still suggest that the touchdown upside of Cam Akers in that offense versus Barkley in the Giants offense, even if improved, like you could see a 20 touchdown Cam Akers season. I don't think you're going to see a 15 touchdown Barkley season. No, you, no, no, you're not. For, like I have Barkley at 10 touchdowns, and six what you, rushing, four receiving. And what do you, yeah. And like, the, I mean, last year it was two and two for Barkley and that, yeah. and that yeah. will improve. That's just, I mean, that's, being injured, coming back, not getting the full-time load in terms of what they trust him with, uh, and a bad offense. But it seems like that's still artificially low. We know the Rams are going to score touchdowns. And if they just somehow get stopped on the one-yard line, those are theoretically now Cam Akers touchdowns, which just seems a lot easier at that point if he's going to sure. see. And I, I'm not sweating your boy, Daryl Henderson. Do you do team totals? Team totals yeah. for, for what? Like rushing touchdowns. Because that's – so that's – I was going to say is I have Cam Akers for nine rushing touchdowns. That actually would have been 90% of the rushing touchdowns last year. Like that that's my only concern is how much they pass once they get in the red zone. Yeah, but how much of that was a product of Cam Akers not being on the field? Sure. I mean, Sonny Michelle got a lot even when he was with that team. I think he had four or five, and it wasn't for a full season as we know. And then uh, would, I think Daryl Henderson is right in the same range, and there there's your 10. Um, so, again – that's nine and thinking there's going to be other rushing touchdowns for that. That's why I was asking how many to give you a reference. How many rushing touchdowns do I have for, see, I have 16 rushing touchdowns for them, which would be six more than last year. And that could honestly be low. It could be, or it could be high because they continue to pass at the same rate that they've been doing. But I do think that the influence of Cam Akers in the backfield, if he's the true bell cow in this McVay offense, that, they probably trust him a little bit more to get those two yards than they did Sony Michelle and Henderson. Not that they didn't trust those guys, but just even from eyeballing it and looking at the the non coming back from too early from Achilles stats, Cam Akers just better. Yeah, and I think that I was just about to say like injury wise, I think I, that's where I lean a little bit towards Barkley though because he played lot more games and didn't look like himself and whether so I, I, this just comes down to your opinion if you think that that's the Barkley we're going to see now then sure then you're going to be completely out on Barkley because seeing him for the rest of the season he looked ineffective whether you want to say it's the offense whether he's they whatever is it like maybe that's who he is at this point and he's just never going to get that ability back where we're making the excuse for acres as he came back in an ungodly amount of time and he's going to look better so that's really what it comes down to is like i'm going to say if both injury agnostic as you just said if both are 100 percent and the guys we know i'm taking barkley even on the worst team and i lesser and, team. and i would go the other way i'm going to take the team that's just going to score way more points Okay, and that's fair. And I think that's a coin flip that I would land on with that. Plus, I mean, this doesn't matter in terms of the actual ranking one guy over another, but the cost on Cam Akers, much better than Saquon at the moment. Mm, yeah, although Saquon's is still depressed so far. Depressed-ish, but he's still low 20s versus high 50s. That's two sure. rounds of separation. He, he's really low 20s? That's so weird because the rank, the running back overall is different, but I guess that's when people start attacking running back. Is that Because aren't there, isn't there running back only gap very close? Uh, let's see. Running back only. Like David Montgomery is currently going ahead of him. Zeke is currently going ahead of him. It, like season-long drafters are not necessarily on let's flood the wide receiver market as of yet during the season. Because I think that most people that are going to filter into season-long leagues, and this is the only data that we have to work with of leagues that have actually been drafted so far, 
all those people are playing best ball at the moment and drafting receivers at number one and two and three and yeah. five and seven. And that's just not happening. That's not materialized yet in season-long fantasy draft. It's still very, very running back heavy for the first 30 picks or so. Okay. Like, yeah, and to speak with a good... For, for example, like Mike Evans, Zeke, and Barkley are going boom, boom, boom in season-long drafts. And then A.J. Brown, Keenan Allen, T. Higgins, all those guys are going way ahead of those guys in best ball drafts. What? What? Why is Zeke there? I don't. I. I, I don't. I don't know. Like, if you want someone who looks like Saquon Barkley before he's fully healthy in a worse situation, take take Zeke. <laughs> There's your guy. I really don't get that one. That that's the one I can't get on board with. As the Zeke, and I was a Zeke guy last year. But you want to talk about some? He's essentially James Conner, but worse. Yeah. <laughs> He's J- I don't get it. He's James Conner, and maybe you want yeah, you know Benjamin this year. Maybe that's your guy in that backfield, but to take super late. But like Pollard's a real thing. Not to say that Pollard's like some sort of top ten fantasy running back because he's not in his situation. But he's going to play like forty five percent of the snaps. Zeke's kind of dust. He, he, go back to what I said before. If Ezekiel Elliott doesn't have an extremely high, one of the highest, along with James Conner, that's why I threw his name out there, an extremely high touchdown to rush percentage and it just comes back to the norm even above the norm but comes back a bit and all of a sudden he only runs for eight touchdowns seven which is it's conceivable because it's not going to be that consistent where you stay that high and yeah maybe it is that's your best case scenario but that's your best case scenario if it comes back just a little bit and it's still above average you know i have ezekiel elliott down at 21 behind jacobs and camara well even with the suspension camara Aaron Jones, Antonio Gibson, Brees Hall, a rookie. I've just I'm taking those guys over Ezekiel Elliott at this point of his career. Oh, I'm 100 percent doing that as well. I'm I'm way out on Zeke this year. For, well, how many how many combined yards do you have Zeke for? Uh, let's see what the baseline has him for here. Projections by position. Where are you at, Zeke? Zeke's way down here. Zeke, uh, 839 rushing yards, 210 receiving yards, so a thousand total yards, basically. Yeah, I have from 900 and 250. So I'm above you, but that's actually in luck. So I don't think people realize that one. What do you have, 11, 1200 total yards last year? That's pretty tough to swallow if you're going to be taking him as an RB1. And like that puts him, this puts him at running back 22 in the projections. And that's assuming he scores 13 touchdowns. <laughs> like yeah, that, I'm like, doing it. Like that, that's, that's not good. Like that makes Miles Sanders better than you. It, it really does, honestly. I And to give you, we're similar and different at the same time. I have from 900 and 250, so I have slightly more yards, but I have for 11 touchdowns. So I'm even lower than you in the touchdown department, but we are in the same spot because I'm for 21 and you have 22. Like, there's a good chance that Devin Singletary outscores him this season. Not that I love I Singletary. I was just about to say, the one... The one I have right behind Zeke, and if I was drafting, I would probably take because we're talking about what are ceilings here. Travis Etienne. Yeah. Like, I could see I could see myself taking ETN over Zeke. I have ETN or Etienne, as I like to say. She's uh, <laughs> five spots higher in terms of projections. That's not even ranking. It's just raw projections. It also see, I just want to bring him up so you said his name. It, we'll get to him in part two of this. Uh, I want to finish on two guys. Leonard Fournette is a part of this tier. How much you sweating the rookie? I'm not. Okay. okay. If that's the case, then he's the top of this tier. If you are sweating him, he's the bottom of this tier. No, I'm sweating him 
in the Ronald Jones share, but more in the passing game and less in the run game. Uh, Rashad White will take some. And Rashad White is one of the best backup running backs to take in this draft this year, your drafts this year. But I'm not worried about Leonard Fournette. I have him as an RB1. I have him right, right behind Nick Chubb. And the case is going to be, even if uh, White does steal some of the receiving game from Fournette, especially early, one missed blocking assignment and Fournette's in the game all the time. <laughs> 100% correct on that one. And I think that's another one. People forget already how many receptions and how much passing game work Leonard Fournette had last year. So you're talking about approaching 280 and probably a chance to get 300 touches again for Leonard Fournette and you're running for touchdowns with Tom Brady's offense. Yeah, that's Leonard Fournette should be there. You shouldn't be that concerned about Rashad White as a complete sidebar. Uh, Jeff and I talked about this. Just to throw this out there. If you draft Rashad White as the backup, don't drop him after three weeks just because Leonard Fournette stayed healthy. You're not drafting him for the fact that Leonard Fournette gets hurt in the first three weeks. You're drafting him to hold if anything happens at all because he's in one of the few backup situations where if the lead goes down, there's a 70% workload coming his way. So tier three of running backs, so six to ten, Fournette, Delvin Cook, Joe Mixon, Cam Akers, Saquon Barkley. Does that sound about right? Mm -hmm. Did you say Nick Chubb? I did not yet. I would put Nick Chubb in there. David Montgomery. Nick Chubb's just going to finish – Eight to eleven every single year. He's going to, but he's—that's what's so good about him. He's like, he's just good. Okay, I mean, he's a part of the next tier for sure, and we'll get into that in part two of this. But like, I think you can make a case for Montgomery. Your boy DeAndre Swift is up there. Aaron Jones. The one I wanted to end with is, what do you do with Elvin Kamara? Mm. <laughs> so, if it's six games, he falls back a bit. If it's four, as you and I referenced in this show it's easy to make up that first month uh i would take so i right now i'm taking him right around antonio gibson jk dobbins and that's with jk dobbins i mean we might find out in a few weeks that he's still behind in his recovery time and that'll be on the next show but alvin Kamara, i'm taking him in the mid-teens because once he's back on the field you know you're getting a top 10 running back and i say top 10 not top five because top 10 with Jameis winston is offense now he just doesn't seem as much passing game work as he saw with Drew Brees. We just know that. That's, that's what it is. But you're going to have him healthy because it's a suspension. Similar to Le'Veon Bell's year, it's a suspension, not an injury like Saquon Barkley last year. So that's what we go with. If it's six, start to get a little dicey in here because now you're making the argument of let's take Brees Hall, a rookie, who probably split some with Michael Carter. Uh, I actually think this could be very much like the Cardinals last year in that he sees a 65%. Michael Carter kind of falls into a Chase Edmonds role. But now you're saying, is that more valuable to get for six games and everything after that where Kamara will outscore him, but I get those six games? And I think that's where you start to have the argument. I think that's where you start to have is Kamara's 11, well, 10 for fantasy purposes if you make the playoffs. It, it, that's really what it comes down to. Is that more valuable than taking the guy that you get for those six weeks? And that's where I'll start to lean to the one where I get the production. There is one other factor here. There's a brand new offense. 
It's going to be Jameis, presumably, mm-hmm. full-time. We don't even know if Michael Thomas is going to be in this receiving core or not. He may be. He may not be. But this isn't Drew Brees dumping it off to Alvin Kamara. At least when we had the Le'Veon Bell situation, we knew the role that he was coming back to. We knew the offense he was coming back to. There is a situation where you know, this isn't a dump-off offense and like you making pure utilization of Kamara out of the backfield as being a fantastic receiving threat. They should do that because he is excellent at catching the ball out of the backfield, get him into space, use him between the tackles, use him as much as humanly possible. But this feels like it could be a very like, hey, let's run the ball between the tackles. We'll hand it off. We'll have a split backfield, and we're going to rely on defense. Like, there's a chance that this isn't the same Saints team and the Saints offense that we expect him to return to where he had number one overall upside. Maybe he just wasn't in that. Maybe he's just no longer in that tier to begin with, and that really hurts him. No, there was a lot. If you could look just back at last year, and I know some of those Taysom Hill games and stuff like that, and just a mess of a quarterback situation, but there was a lot of games where he had four fewer targets. And if he falls into that range, and now you're talking about, so even a full, let's just take a full season as a quick sidebar, you're talking about full season of 65 to 70 targets for Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I mean, that's not – does he even get to RB1 territory in this offense with that? And now you're talking about removing the six games. So, yeah, there's a definite downside to him not knowing what kind of passing game work he's going to get. And, of course, if Michael Thomas is out there and you have Michael Thomas, Landry, Alave, and then Kamara, like that's just a lot of pieces where Jameis Winston's not going to go back to Tampa Bay Buccaneers throwing 650 times. Maybe if he does, well, then, yeah, good, because he's going to have to throw that many times to Kamara. But – I think you're going to see potentially a little bit more balance, and that's the downside to Kamara. There's a scenario where even in a full season, Kamara doesn't even finish as an RB1. Over six targets just three times last season. Now, he did breach 30 carries in the final game of the season. He had that one against the Jets where he had 27 carries for 120 yards like his efficiency was down. He only averaged 3.7 yards per carry last year wasn't ingram hurt there in that one yeah he was and ingram's still there weirdly enough like i know this is like blasphemy on the show jake but ingram might be the better (laughs) fantasy player this year for where you get him (laughs) i'm waiting for the feed to cut out with technical difficulties after you just said (laughs) like i don't think that's crazy considering he's going to be likely the bell cow well, Kamara is out. Presumably, that might not be true. Tony Jones could be making you know the big cup rising from the dead. Tony Jones, everyone loved Tony Jones last year, but Ingram. Well, now they drafted Abram Smith. But I, would so, you, it, if there is a six-game suspension, what do you think that the snap share for Ingram is going to be? Like 80 percent? Mm, I think I would go more like sixty-five to seventy. So okay, not huge, but but enough. Still close to Bell Cowie. And then he ends up being 40, 45% when Kamara comes back, presumably. Yeah. Like, that's not a By great... By the way, dude, dude, this, show, this show just came full circle, Pat. Like, we've, we've gone so far with your show in the years that we've been doing this that you actually just positively talked about Mark Ingram. I'm using it as a negative for Kamara. I just don't know where to rank the guy. Like, <laughs> like even if it was... Like, here's the thing. If he was playing, for sure, 17 games, he would be probably in this tier, tier three. But he's... Yes. But we just yes. can't project him that way. So I don't even know where he falls on the list anymore. Mm. Well, here's your question. Would you take Josh Jacobs of Alvin Kamara? I think, I, I mean, Jacobs will get to more in the next show, but I like Jacobs a lot this year. I don't, I see, why, I, 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 I don't see why Josh McDaniels being there hurts Josh Jacobs. I don't understand that argument. 
I don't really understand it either. I have Josh Jacobs for almost 280 touches. So yeah, like I, I, the Kenyon Drake thing that was that was purely John Gruden. I think that Josh Jacobs is more in that Aaron Jones, Chubb, Swift, like Montgomery conversation than the J.K. Dobbins, A.J. Dillon, Brees Hall, Antonio Gibson, Zeke conversation. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, there's a tease for the next show. Part two of the running back tears with Pat Mayo and Jake Seeley of theathletic.com. You can check out the full draft kit available now, completely free, down in the description and comment section. All the links to all the shows are going to be up there. I'll have my rankings in list form, handy list form, in order, too, once we complete doing the rankings. We got through 10. We got through 11 on the wide receiver show, so now we're really going to hunker down and go into tier three, four, five, six. What do you do in these middle tiers? Thank you for joining me on this. This was fun. No, oh, I always love doing this one. Yeah, and over there, the the one dollar at all for per month is back for so you can get the athletic for twelve bucks right now. Not free, one hundred percent free like yours, but I mean one dollar a month is that's kind of hard to beat. Is that with code Sealy All in Kid? What are we doing here? No, just click on the rankings and it'll you should get it pop up and it'll say join the athletic for one dollar a month. So just check it out over there, or the, actually basically any of my articles and it should pop up. Well, you should follow Jake on Twitter at All In Kid. Check out All In Football um, as well up on YouTube, and I think it's on podcast form, right? Yes, it's on all the podcasty stuff, just like yours. All right, just like the Pat Mayo Experience. Go sub to that, sub to the Mayo Media Network as well, so you don't miss any of the football shows. I'll be back with Jake. I'll be back with Leone as we continue to hammer down on the positional rankings that matter the most at wide receiver and running back. Smash the like on the way out. That'll do it for me. I'll see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.